0: the enemy. And some of you need to remember that he's fighting your battle. I know it doesn't feel like it. He's way ahead up there. You can't see him, but he's fighting your battle. And then he has the shepherd's staff. And that's when he goes and he rescues that sheep because we all get a little apart, right? We all get in those dark times. We get in those dark places. And he takes that because sheep will get stuck on a mountain. Now they're really good at getting around. You know, I, I guess sheep, this is what they do but they're really good at getting around, but sometimes they get stuck. Sometimes it's dark. And so what he does is that long shepherd staff with the hook on is he reaches down and he pulls that sheep up and then he puts that sheep around his neck and carries them home. And I don't know where you're at right now. I know you wanna go home right now, not your physical home, but you wanna be out of that dark place. But you gotta remember the shepherd is good He is leading you this morning. Whatever it is in your life, whatever has happened, he's saying, follow me. Don't give up. I made a way. See, I can see way ahead of you. Stop using your eyes. Hear my voice. Put your faith in my voice, in my word, everything that I've written in the word of God. Stand on that. Child, stand on it. Son, stand on it. Daughter, because he's got the area mapped out before you. So I don't know who that's for. Maybe it's speaking to me and and that's it. But man, when we sing, you're good, you're good. Sometimes you don't feel it. You just got to declare it because that's what the word of God says. He is good. The immutability of God means he doesn't change. Our God is unchanging, which means there's no turning of shadow with him. He is good. So just declare it with me this morning. He is good. I don't know if you believe the immutability of God. He is good. And he's gonna lead his sheep. So anyways, that was the sermon before the sermon. So Francis Chan is this pastor, and he has this thing that I've actually done this illustration before, and I wanna tweak it a little bit, but I love this. So just pretend that this is, goes on forever. It's like this endless rope. And so it goes on forever even though there is a a nub at the end of this. So anyways, it goes on forever. But what I want you to picture is that this is like a timeline of your life. You see, it's like a timeline of your life. Every person in here, you have the rope of your time life. Now here's the deal, see this red part? This represents your time on earth. You just have a few years on earth compared to this, compared to eternity, eternity all the way out. Just a few years. So here's the deal. What are you living for? See, we're talking about the one, and we're talking about the ones that we need to go to. And for somebody who's an unbeliever that doesn't know Jesus, they don't know. They don't know what happens after this for eternity. They're just in this part. They think that's all that is. And even for us, we think this is it, right? We know better, we know we're going to heaven if you're a believer in this place, but we get stuck thinking this life is it. It feels so big, but in perspective of eternity, it's so small. I can walk all the way over here and that rope keeps going. But see, many of the people that we encounter that don't know Jesus, they're stuck here. There's no one to say, hey, have you ever thought about eternity? Where are you gonna spend eternity, heaven or hell? Listen, we don't talk about heaven and hell enough. But they don't know, and they're stuck here, and here's the problem, here's the problem, is this rope is a picture of each one of us in here. It's a picture of also believers. And the problem is, is we're stuck right here too. We're stuck in this red zone too. We forget that eternity is so much bigger, so much greater, this is a short time on this earth. And Jesus has called us fishers of men. I like the phrase, they smell like fish. Have you ever heard that about the disciples? Cause like Dave said last week, he picked the B team. He picked people that smelled like fish to carry the gospel. We're the B team. We're the fishers of men. We smell like fish, but yet we're stuck in here. What will I eat? Will I travel? Am I comfortable? Am I entertained enough? Will I save all this money for this little point right here of retirement? Where, you know, compared to eternity, it's madness. And then we even think, well, what's my purpose in life? I need something that defines me. What defines us? We're all about this. And Jesus is like, look, I gave you a commission to go. That's your purpose. That's what defines you. That's what you're here on earth for. That's why you're here. So I want to ask you a question. Are the things you're living for in this red part Moving you in such a way that you're not just living for the things of earth, but you're living for the things that will last for eternity. Where are you at? And here's the deal. That first group I talked about that don't know Jesus yet, they have no one going to them. If we're stuck in the red and we're missing our purpose and our mission that he gave us, they have no one saying, hey, where are you going to spend eternity? See, what you decide right now about Jesus determines where you'll spend eternity in heaven hell. And we're not doing that because we're stuck in the red. What will I eat? Will I travel? Am I comfortable? Am I entertained? But you have a purpose and a mission. Jesus said to go. The great commission, the great command, the great commission to go, not a suggestion, but a command to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But you're like, man, most of us, we don't say it this way, but we're living our own mission. See, we don't say it that way. And you're like, you may not have a mission or a purpose written down, but all of us are thinking about something, directing our lives. We all have a mission and a purpose, whether we write it down or not. And some of you not saying this out loud, because you're like, well, I go to church. I love God's mission, but it's just a part of your mission. And if it fits with you, then amen. But if it doesn't, well, I got my thing. And that's how many of us are living. It's not first in our lives. So are those things you're living for in the red? Do they have eternal impact? King David wrote Psalm 19. I've been on this verse a lot. It actually fit in, so it was cool. But he says, I am a stranger on this earth. King David. King David, power, position, everything at his feet, everything. I'm a stranger on this earth, Lord, direct my path. The book of Hebrews says you're sojourners on this earth. Paul says we are citizens of heaven. Get our mind off of earthly things. Yet we're so caught up in the red. And there are lives on the line. See, Dave gave you some amazing statistics last week, right? And they were positive. I'm gonna give you one statistic and it's kind of a downer. So just that, that's this, okay? So there's 7.9 billion people in the world. That's a lot of people, right? Right? That's a lot of lives that are on the line. But here's a statistic based on that. 105 people die each minute. What I'm trying to say is time is short. How many will depart this life to a Jesus-less eternity before we finish this worship service? Have you ever thought about that? See, as you're probably pondering that right now, another 105 persons have left time and entered into eternity. How many do you suppose went to be with the Lord and how many went to hell? And I know you're like 7.9 billion, it's it's crazy. And so we're just like, I won't do anything, right? Because that seems impossible. But time is short. God just wants us to focus on the one. Just the one, just go to the one. He leaves the 99 to rescue the one. See, the gospel was never intended to stop with you and me. The gospel reached us on the way to others, right? It doesn't stop with you. We gotta keep going. That's the, the gospel. We're part of a relay team, made up of Christians spanning time and space all the way back to the 12 disciples. And we have a part of God's mission. See, I love in the book of Daniel, the picture of the Ancient of Days. That's, that's what you call God, he's the Ancient of Days. And around his throne are every tribe, every tongue, every people group, praising the Ancient of Days. And we have a part in God's mission to make for himself a people out of all the peoples of the earth who worship him. We serve a missionary God. You gotta, we gotta wrap our minds around that. He's a missionary God, which means we must be a missionary people. Ed Stetzer says this, and I love it. He says, it's not that God's church has a mission, it's that God's mission has a Church. He's not trying to be tricky with words. He's speaking of a fundamental shift in our thinking of that red part and how we think about it. It's when you realize you only have one purpose for being on this earth. You exist to join Jesus in God's mission in and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, I hate to burst our bubble. I'm including myself in that. We were not saved from our sins simply so that we could qualify for heaven. God delivered us so we could have a relationship with him through which he would carry out his mission to to redeem a lost world. God is on a mission and Jesus is the embodiment of that mission. Jesus identifies himself. Listen in the book of John, 40 times in the book of John alone, Jesus says, I have been sent. I've been sent. That's why our, our, our mission is to live sent, right back there on the wall. Live sent is the hand, feet, and voice of Jesus. It's because Jesus 40 times says, I'm sent, I'm sent. But near the end of the Gospel of John, you know what he says? He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you, 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 I'm sending you. It means we shouldn't be surprised when Jesus says to go. Go into all the world. Go, think about that word. Go, it's a simple word with profound implications. Hell is blocked only by the obedience of the B team to go. But if the P team isn't on the field, what happens? We're it. God chose you and me. It's like a football game that we're supposed to be playing in, but we're in the stands. And we have the jersey And we have a lot of helpful hints, how the team should be run and who should play quarterback. Any college football fans on Saturday relate to this. And we learn the plays and even the names of the players. But we aren't called to observe the game, but to be in the game. See, we are great at armchair quarterback Christians, right? But Jesus called us to do our part. See, we do this by praying for our one and going to our one. You are the plan. He doesn't have a backup. Think about that. You're the plan. You're it. Robbie Galati, who does our, our D group book growing up that we do, I love what he says. He says there's two essentials to God's plan. He said God is always at work through people, and he always works through prayer. Two things. See, we have a saying, before you talk to your friend about Jesus, talk to Jesus about your friend. Prayer is such an essential part of this. Prayer doesn't change God's heart. He's not like, well, finally they prayed, so now I guess I'll love that person and save them. No, prayer changes us. He already loves them. He wants us to love them with his love. And if you're here today and you're like, man, they want us to to be witnesses and testify, but I'm not feeling it. But that's why we pray, because I don't always feel it either. But when we pray, he's like, here's my heart for that person. When you pray every day, like we're asking you to commit for your one, it's like he begins to change your heart, to see things in their lives, to to say, hey, maybe you should call them, send them that verse. When you pray, it transforms your heart, not his. It just gets you on the same page for his mission in the world. And that's why we need to pray. It gives our hearts an urgency. Listen, you will never feel ready to share Christ. We just have to get over that. Did the disciples feel ready? No. But what could possibly give them confidence to go? Well, the apostle Paul stated it, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Listen, my flesh may hate it. It may be fearful and scared, but if I have Christ in me as a believer, then I actually will want to. If I will pray and seek his face, he will change my heart. Remember, his power is made perfect in what? Our strengths know our weaknesses, even when you're fearful to go. That's why we ask you to grab this prayer book over there. And it's still here in the basket. If you didn't grab one, you need to grab one. It was so cool. Wednesday, Tim to the men's group said, hey, we we need to do this. And it was cool to see men from our church, but men from other churches going over here, putting in their one and grabbing a thing to say, I'm gonna pray for them every day. See why this is so important? I just wanna share this with you. But there was an experiment done by the Lighthouse group It was a prayer group that would intercede. So they took 160 of their prayer intercessors and asked them each to have one person in their lives that didn't know Jesus. And they split the group into two groups and they told the first group of 80 to pray every day for the names that they had. And they told the other group, don't pray. And at the end of the 90 days, they called all 160 of the names they'd been praying for to invite them to church. Of the 80 who didn't pray, none came to church or were saved. But of the 80 who did pray, 62 came to church and most received salvation. It's the power of prayer because those people were thinking about it. It was ever before them in their eyes. But see, here's the thing about prayer. And this is where we're going this morning. Prayer, true prayer is useless unless we put feet to our prayers. Remember what Robbie said, He always uses people and he always works through prayer. Those two things. Our feet have to have prayer, prayer has to have feet. We have to put legs to our prayers. See, when we tell others about Christ, we are putting feet to our prayers. Let me give you an example from the scriptures. I want to look when Jesus healed the paralytic, and the event takes place in the book of Mark. Jesus had come to Capernaum, and the people had heard it, and so they wanted to gather where he stayed. So they're all rushing in. So many wanted to hear him. There was hardly any room for anyone. So there's a group of friends who have a paralytic friend and they wanna do something for that friend. And this is where we're gonna pick up our story. It says, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men, being unable to get to him because of the crowd. They couldn't get through the door. There was such a crowd, they couldn't get their friend to him. So they couldn't do it. This is what they did. I love this. I love the scriptures. I love people because we always do crazy, ridiculous things. And I love it. YouTube is an example of that. But they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they're like sitting there digging. They let down the powder on which the paralytic was lying. What an amazing scene. And Jesus, listen to this. And Jesus, seeing their face, said to the paralytic, son, Your sins are forgiven. Pick up your mat and go home. This is the power of putting feet to our prayers. Four men sought to reach Jesus on behalf of someone they knew and cared for who was unable to reach him on their own. his own. They couldn't get to Jesus through the crowd, so these men resorted to extreme measures. They carried the paralytic to the roof. Now, I don't know what it is to get somebody on the roof of a Hebrew building. Maybe that's just like a hop and a skip. I don't know, but that seems difficult. Challenging. And then it says that they started digging. They opened up a hole on somebody else's roof. I hope they didn't know this guy. They're getting sued, right? If I'm the homeowner, I'm like, Jesus, you just healed this guy. You better heal my roof. Come on. But that's what they did. They removed the tiles and they began to dug. See, the paralytic was stuck. He was unable to move forward, he had no control over where he went and how he got there but they intersected his life. They cared enough for their friend to do for him what he could not do for himself. They knew he couldn't move, so they decided to move him. They loved him enough to change his situation. Man, do we love the one enough to change their situation? But there was a problem. There wasn't enough room to get to Jesus. So the men took the roof off the tiles but I love it's a powerful moment in scripture. We read in verse five, it says, and Jesus seeing their faith. Listen, Mark doesn't say that Jesus saw the paralytic's faith. He clearly states that Jesus saw the friend's faith. Why is that important to our one that we're praying for? Why is that a big deal? Because people have been paralyzed by the world, the devil, and their sin. The scriptures declare that Satan has taken them captive and blinded them, and they can't move forward on their own. And we need to get them to Jesus. See, these men had a mission. Or rather, they saw that the mission had them. Does the mission have your heart? Be real this morning, it's okay if you say no, it's okay. But does the mission have your heart? They saw that they gotta get their friend to Jesus. See, the gospel transforms the mind, it transforms the heart, but it should propel our feet. If we're transforming this and this and our feet aren't going, something's wrong. Something's going on if our feet are not being propelled forward. Guys, is the gospel moving your feet? We gotta get off the bleachers and onto the field. They didn't just go like, oh man, we got a mission. You know, I I see that red part, I got a mission. That sounds great, right? No, it was that the mission moved them. It moved their feet. And I love it says their faith. He saw the faith of their friends. Their faith had expectation. When's the last time you came in here and had expectation? When's the last time at your job when you were witnessing or that moment you have when you expect God to move? See, their expectation was maybe, just maybe, maybe. If we can get our friend to the feet of Jesus, maybe Jesus can do what only Jesus can do. See, when I think about what they did, I think of the word risk. They took a risk, right? They took a risk. They're taking a chance, a dare on God, saying, man, we get him to Jesus, Jesus is gonna move. They had expectation. These men also encountered an obstacle, right? They encountered an obstacle. Now, we all encounter obstacles. Have you ever felt that when you're about to talk to somebody about Jesus, it's like awkward and it's a weird moment and then somebody comes in and it's, it's all like kind of strange at the first part of it and you're fearful and all that stuff. Somebody better say yes. Cause that, this is the story of my life. So I went to New Smyrna beach for like a study retreat. And so I saw this ice cream place and I know you can't tell I love ice cream. And so I saw this ice cream place and I, I went and I saw this like Ibanez guitar and They had like all this like tie-dye stuff. I'm like, oh man, I'm feeling at home, you know? These people are hippies, I like this. And so the owners had just moved to town. They just bought this ice cream shop. And so I'm just chatting up with them. We're talking about guitars and music and all this stuff and it's all good and I get my ice cream and this is after a little while we're talking and I leave. And so I'm praying about godly things, you know, quote, godly things. And then Jesus is like, hey, I want you to talk to those people. I want you to go back. So the next day, I ate a really big meal and I'm in my car and I'm just thinking, oh, I'll go back whenever. And I feel like the Lord is saying, and the Lord doesn't always work like this in me, just so you know. I feel like he's saying, I want you to go right now. And I'm, I was full, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't eat another thing. I was like, what am I gonna do? Like just go in there and just, you know. So I ordered like this big milkshake, you know, and I'm like, there's no way I'm gonna down this thing. There's no way, but I start to talk to them but I'll be honest, I left. Cause it got awkward, there was people coming in. So finally the third day I'm like, man, I'm leaving. I gotta, you know, I, I gotta be obedient. And so I drove up and there's people there. And so finally those people went out. So I went in and we just started talking. And I got to tell them about my dad and, and hear more of their story. And it just, it was just a cool moment. And I have their phone number now, I pray for them every day and all this. But it was hard, there was obstacles. There was ice cream obstacles. There was people obstacles. This is serious stuff, guys. It's serious stuff. But there's always an obstacle in front of us. These men try to bring their paralyzed friend, and they're carrying him on the mat, and they can't get in the front door. You ever heard somebody pray for an open door? I pray for it all the time. It's actually biblical. Paul, the Apostle Paul talks about it. To pray for open doors. In the, even in Acts, it talks about an open door. You know, we, we pray, God, give us an open door. Open their door of their heart so they can hear the message or open a door for the, the gospel to go into a community. We, we pray like that. So you guys are familiar with that word. So at this point, they can't get in the front door, right? It's so busy. And if you're like me and kind of what I did at my new Smyrna experience, we're like, okay, I raise up the white flag, I surrender. We're like, oh Lord Jesus, it must be a closed door and it's difficult. So we're like, I guess the Lord doesn't want it to happen. And we drop it and we forget about it and we don't go back. Listen, for most of us, an open door, is just Christianese. You know what Christian ease is? For the path of least resistance. Open door terminology for most of us is, Lord, we'll walk through the open door if it seems easy. Okay, so I want you to think about that. Imagine if the apostle Paul, who actually prayed about open doors, walked through the open doors according to our definition. Half of the New Testament wouldn't be written. He was flogged, beaten, thrown in prison, shipwrecked. Does that sound like an open door? Yeah, Paul's like, it's an open door. I'm getting flogged. The gospel's going forward. They pleaded with Paul not to go to Rome. Paul, you're going to die. It's an open door. I'm going. We have to redefine what an open door looks like. Sometimes you gotta kick open the door. Sometimes you need to dig a hole in a roof. Sometimes you need to improvise and find another way to get to someone, someone to the feet of Jesus. Sometimes you gotta kick the door open. We can't say, oh, it must be a closed door. We should just go on our merry way. Jesus said to ask, seek, and knock. And in the Greek, it's continue to ask. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Listen, you're gonna encounter obstacles in your way when you try to share Jesus with the one don't throw up your white flag and surrender because there's an obstacle there. Don't be afraid of ridicule. Isn't that what our hearts fear? We, we fear ridicule. The, let's just be real. Even the, the most extroverted of you, we fear that. Don't be afraid of the repercussions that you get relationally. We're thinking, man, what, what if I start to share Christ with this guy and they're no longer my friend or, or they well, something happens? Just share Christ with your one. Kick the door open digged in the roof. Go for it. Because here's the last point in our scripture. God will surprise you. See, they got more than they bargained for in the story. And you're like, what do you mean? How did they get more than they bargained for? See, in verse 25, remember what Jesus says? I want you to think in this order. Son, your sins are forgiven. Pick up your mat and walk. They just wanted to see him walk, but he The paralytic got way more. He was forgiven. The burden of sin was gone, washed clean. A new heart. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on, and went home praising God. See, the beautiful thing about this passage, these guys thought their friend needed to walk. The external circumstance was the more important thing to them. But to Jesus, his heart was the most important thing. Because what did he first say to him? Son, your sins are forgiven. And then he says, take up your mat and walk. Listen, the greatest need that you and I have, the greatest need that our one has, the greatest need is not an internal tweak or external tweaking, right? Walking, running, all that is neither here nor there. All the external tweaking we think we need. I'm tired of the external tweaking in my life. I don't need an external tweak. I need a heart change. I don't know about you. I need my soul crushed so God can mold me back into what God wants me to be and actually care for the lost. See, God's not after an externally tweaked life. He's after a changed life. The heart is the most important piece of that whole passage, not the external circumstance. And Jesus does his greatest work here. He does his greatest work right here. And here's the beauty of this verse at the end. It says, they were filled with awe. We have seen remarkable things today. Do you have that expectation? They're not in all like that. Walked into the state fair and paid a quarter to see the world's smallest woman or the bearded lady. It's not that. It's God is in the room. God is here. He's moved. He's done something that only he can do. And therein are. Ah, oh, we have seen remarkable things today. Listen, don't settle for the mundane when Jesus offers the miraculous. Ask God to do what only God can do in the life of your one. Pray it, pray it, go for it, chase after it. If it seems impossible, well, our God, all things are possible with him. He is able. At some point, here's the deal, guys, this is where we're landing. At some point, you and I were the paralytic on the mat. We all have been the paralytic in the mat. We were the ones See, you had someone in your life, someone. We can all trace our finger back to that someone. It may have been a parent. It may have been a friend. I don't know who it was. There was someone who looked at you, who looked at you and was praying for you. You didn't even know it. There was someone that looked at you and said, my mission is to see that that person comes to faith in Christ. And I will not stop until they cross the line of faith. And they were eager and expectant that God could do only what he could do in your life. And you know what? I don't know some of you, but if you're anything like me, I know they encountered obstacles. You were prideful. You fought back. You did your best to say, oh, I don't know there's a God and all this. You know, you did these. Along the way, they encountered that with you, but they kept persisting. When the door was shut, they dug a hole through the roof for you. Guys, it's time to dig roofs. It's time to do whatever it takes. Listen, if our church doesn't grab hold of this, If our church doesn't grab hold of this, we're a country club. If our church doesn't grab hold of this, then we're just blowing smoke. This isn't smoke and mirrors, man. This is life. Life eternal is on the line. And most people are caught up in the red. Most unbelievers can't see. They might have a few questions. I don't know what happens after you die. They think about it very little, but they're caught up in the red. But believers, we cannot be caught up in the red. I don't know what you're doing for retirement, but it better be taking people to the the throne room, to Jesus. I don't know what you're doing tomorrow, but it better be about Christ and about bringing people to him. You're with people every day, you and I. Listen, you don't have to search them out. God is bringing them to your doorstep. And we turn them away and just say, God bless you, go in peace. It's actually from a song in the 70s. God bless you, go in peace. But we don't invite him in. See, you know where hope is found? Jesus, Jesus, that's it, that's it. A changed life, a changed heart, that's what he's after, is your mission to see that person come to faith in Christ. Listen, the kingdom of God is neither safe nor comfortable. we got to face that. Listen, I'm an introvert. This stuff isn't easy for me, but I know how much I'm loved by my father in heaven. And I'm in awe that he would rescue someone like me. I'm in awe that he would shed his blood for me. How can I not go and tell others about him? And I'll be honest, sometimes I don't. And it breaks my heart. But then he reminds me, it's not me, it's Christ in me. The hope of glory. It's Christ in me, Christ working through me. We just got to let him. So let me ask you this question and we're going to close. Does God's mission have your heart? Just be honest. If it's a no, that, hey, Father in heaven just wants you to, to, be, to be real. Remember, we're strangers on the earth, citizens just passing through. Who's your one? Is it a parent? Is it a friend? Is it a child? Jesus told his disciples, if they were going to follow him, that he would give them a new task, a new mission. He would make them what? Fishers of men. So I wanna close, and it should go fast because I'm just reading a story. This is not from me, this is a story. So I wanna close with a story. So if you need to close your eyes to focus on the story, that's great. Don't fall asleep. But I want you to really think about this, church. TBA, think about this. Now it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen, and lo, there was many fish in the waters all around, and in fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish, and the fish were hungry week after week, month after month, and year after year. Those who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish, the abundance of fish, and how they might go about the task of fishing. Year after year, they carefully defined what fishing means. They defended fishing as an occupation, and they declared that fishing is always to be the primary task of a fisherman. Continually, they searched for new and better methods of fishing, for new and better definitions of fishing. They created witty slogans and displayed them on big, beautiful banners. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. And the plea was that everyone should be a fisherman, and every fisherman should fish. But the one thing they didn't do, they did not fish. In addition to meeting regularly, they organized the board to send out fishermen to other places where there were many fish. They hired staff and appointed committees and held many meetings to define fishing, defend fishing, and decide what new streams should be thought about. But the staff and committee members didn't fish. Large, elaborate, expensive training centers were built whose original and primary purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. Over the years, courses were offered to the needs of fish, the nature of fish, where to find fish, the reactions of fish and how to approach and feed fish. Those who taught had doctorates in fishology, but the teachers did not fish. They only taught fishing. Year after year, after tedious training, many who were graduated and were given the fishing license that they were hoping for. They were sent to do full-time fishing, some to distant waters, which were filled with many fish. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned and prayed over and sent to fish. But like the fishermen back home, they never fished. They engaged in all kinds of other occupations. Some felt their job was to relate to the fish in a good way so the fish would know the difference between good and bad fishermen. Others felt that simply letting the fish know they were nice, land-loving neighbors and how loving and kind they were would surely be enough. Now it's true that many fishermen sacrificed. They put up with all kinds of difficulties and some lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish every single day. They received the ridicule of some who made fun of their fishermen clubs and the fact that they were claimed to be fishermen, yet they never fished. Imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who don't fish were really not fishermen at all, no matter how much they claimed to be. Yet it did sound correct. Is a person a fisherman if year after year he never fishes? Or more plainly stated, is one really following if he isn't a fisherman? You can open your eyes. Listen, TBA, it's time to start casting our nets. It's time to start fishing. It's time to stop talking about fishing, and it's time to start to be fishers of men. Who is your one? Listen, if you felt any guilt or condemnation, that's not what that story is about. It's about finding Christ is already in you. If you're a believer, and that he can do it. You have the mind of Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. And if you're not bold, guess what? Holy Spirit is. If you're fearful, guess who isn't? Jesus. And he's in you. And he's sending people to your doorstep every day. Will you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for just a breaking in us that only your spirit can do. And our hearts and our minds, God. Lord, your word said it's for freedom that you've given us freedom, not to be yoked to a bond of slavery again. Lord Jesus, you said that you came to give abundant life, life more abundant. Father, I'm praying just for a breaking in this church of hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I'm asking that you would fundamentally change us, that God, we'd see that each of our lives in this place, as little as we know about the Bible, as much as we know about the Bible, that you've called us to be fishers of men. Lord, I pray that you would put that on our hearts, not in condemnation, but in conviction. Convict us, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, move right now. Father, your word says that when we receive Holy Spirit, we'd receive power to be your witnesses. You've given us everything we need. In Jesus' name, amen. And maybe you're here today, and you're realizing you're the one. Maybe your friend brought you here. Maybe you just drove in. But you're like, I don't know Jesus yet. But something's in your heart. He's calling you. You feel like, I need to give my life to Jesus. I I need to come clean. Listen, sin separates us from a holy God. But he gave Jesus to die for the penalty of our sins on the cross, your sins. Your sins are a burden you cannot carry. And it's weighing you down. You don't even know that that's what's weighing you down, but it's what's weighing you down. And if you will come to Jesus and say, forgive me, Give me eternal life. If you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, go to Jesus. He will give you eternal life. A new heart, a new mind is what you need. If that's you this morning while we're singing, anytime we're singing, right back there, Tim, Joni, Andrew, myself, we will be back there. We want to pray with you. We want to pray with you to receive Christ. And maybe you're here and you just need to pray. Go back there. But let's stand and let's worship our King. Amen.